During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Chapter 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Chapter 14. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry land with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He made the wheels of their chariots come off so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea And at daybreak, the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the great power the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, 
the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. Chapter 19. In the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on the very day, they came to the desert of Sinai, and they set out from Rephidim. They entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Chapter 20. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. And then finally, chapter 40. Then the Lord said to Moses, set up the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, on the first day of the first month. Place the ark of the testimony in it and shield the ark with the curtain. Bring in the table and set out what belongs on it. Then bring in the lampstand and set up its lamps. Place the gold altar of incense in front of the ark of testimony and put the curtain at the entrance to the tabernacle. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel during all their travels. May God bless to our understanding the reading of this, his word. Amen. Exodus means departure. And the second book in the library of this 66 books that tell God's big story is about the departure of the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. In Exodus, we're introduced to Moses. We learn about the Passover. We get the Ten Commandments. Uh, we hear about that crossing over in the Red Sea. We hear about the tabernacle and the maintenance of, of and the earliest worship of ancient Israel. Genesis, where we were last week, ends with the descendants of Abraham in Egypt. Joseph, who was second in command and power in Egypt, has brought his father Jacob and all his brothers to live in Egypt. And that family grows and multiplies over a period of 400 years. We don't know anything about them or what goes on during those 400 years, except they get bigger and bigger and bigger. We read that after all these years, a new king who did not know Joseph came to power in Egypt. And that king afflicts Egypt with tremendous burdens. He is ruthless. He makes their lives bitter with service. Because of his irrational fear of the Israelites' growth and them perhaps overtaking the Egyptians, he gives a decree that every male infant born now must be killed. Exodus begins with Israel and slavery. It begins with oppression. It begins with murder. Understand 
the darkness and the pain and the horror with which this book begins. But thanks to some midwives who fear God, many of those infants are spared, including one named Moses. To be... Note, by the way, that these, if you read the first chapters of Exodus, these, these midwives are named. Two of them are named. To be named in the Bible is a big deal. Moses' parents aren't even named. But these two women, two of the women, get named. And note how God uses, he works out his plan and his story through these midwives. Midwives. I mean, is there any vocation? Is there anybody? Is there any type of people God's not going to use to make good on his promises? There's a hinge text at the end of chapter 2 that that we read. It's about how the people of Israel groan, and it's that groaning that God hears. And it's how he knows where they're at, and it's why he responds. It's the groans of Israel that stirs God to act. And the people of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will not be defined by their slavery, but they will be defined by their relationship with God. Let me ask, who or what defines you? Is it your family of origin or the family you're in now? Is it your vocation? Is it your wealth? Is it your education? Is it your socioeconomic background? Does your personal pain define you? Or are you defined by God? These people belong to God. God remembered his covenant with them. And that's what the big story, you know, is all about. We read how Moses uh, is called by God through a burning bush. And God fights through all the denials and all the defenses and all the questions of Moses. The story is not about God making Moses something that he is not. It's about God taking Moses and using him with all his limitations and all his weaknesses. But really, this is more than just about a calling in this scene we get just a pile of insight and understanding into God. We learn again. We we, we again learn that he chooses to identify himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That his presence is so pure, it is so fiery, that wherever he is, it is holy ground. We learn about this God that he sees affliction. He hears the cries of people. He knows the sufferings. And he... God is a God who feels. He is personal. He, he has a heart. He suffers. He's not aloof. And this God identifies this group of oppressed slaves as my people. They're in a relationship, even an ownership. And finally in this scene, God reveals his name. If you go on to read, Moses asks, well, Who who am I going to say sent me? And God says, I am who I am, which comes from the Hebrew verb to be, to be, which is spelled with four consonants, Y-H-W-H, which gives us the name for the Lord, Yahweh, that we use. That's the biblical name. Now, what does it mean? What did the Lord mean when he says, I am who I am? I think to say that means that, that he needs nothing else in order to exist. I think it might mean that he's the creator and the sustainer of all that exists. Or it could mean the Lord was saying that he is absolute and undeniable. That he is the most fundamental basic thing in all existence and reality. 
Well, Moses goes in this name, which in our English Bibles is written Lord in all caps. Whenever you see that, this is what it's referring to, Yahweh, I am who I am. He goes to Pharaoh, albeit with his brother Aaron, which is a concession to Moses because he's intimidated about doing this. And when they first approach Pharaoh, they say, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh responds, who's the Lord? And this begins a standoff between the Lord and Pharaoh. And this is really what all the signs and wonders, what all the plagues, the crossing of the Red Sea, it's all about answering that question. Who is the Lord? Whenever God does a sign, it's not just to let Pharaoh know. It's not just to let Egypt know. It's not just to let the Israelites know. It's to let the whole world know. He is the Lord. By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that's in the Nile, and it shall turn to blood. When he notes that he will set apart his people who are living in Goshen from the swarm of flies that are coming, the Lord says that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. When Moses warns Pharaoh about the storms of hail, which will cease once Moses stretches out his hand, he does it so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. Eight different times we hear that everything in the Exodus is happening to answer that question of Pharaoh, that it might be definitively answered. God is the Lord. And God wants his name to be known in the whole world. What is God doing in your life? Though it might be painful to let you know he is the Lord. By the way, did I mention that this is God's big story? Did I mention that? He is the main actor. It's about him. It's not about great religious leaders. It's not about how to live a moral life. It's not how to be more spiritual. God is the main character. He's the main player and he's the main mover in the whole Bible. Well, all through the plagues, Pharaoh becomes harder. He refuses to let Israel go. And the big question becomes, who will Israel belong to? Pharaoh or God? And God sends one last plague on Pharaoh and Egypt. It will be the death of all the firstborn in the homes, unless they put the blood of a lamb on the doorposts of the house. And those who have that blood of the lamb on their doorposts, the firstborn will be spared. It says, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. By the way, in conjunction with this, the Lord institutes the Passover meal for Israel. A feast to be kept for generations. It is still kept to this day annually by the Jewish people to remember this night of Passover when the angel of death passed over the homes with the blood of the lamb, it was during that meal of Passover as Jesus, as a Jew, was celebrating it that he took that cup and he said, this blood is my blood shed for you, the new covenant for the forgiveness of your sin. Tremendous attention is given to the Passover meal here in Exodus. But when Pharaoh hears the cry throughout the land of Egypt on that night, he calls Moses, he calls Aaron to him, and he demands that they take the people and that they leave. And it says that you may serve the Lord. Israel gathers themselves up. They've probably been preparing for this and they leave. 
But Pharaoh changes his mind and begins to chase. And it's at the Red Sea that the Lord does his great act of deliverance of parting the waters and bringing Israel through on dry land. The waters close upon Pharaoh, upon his chariots, upon his armies. And it says, thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. The Lord himself is responsible for the deliverance, not Moses, not Israel, not Aaron. The Lord is the one who saves. Israel begins a journey in the wilderness that will continue now for 40 years. God provides for them all during that time. And finally, they reach a mountain, the mountain of Horeb, the mountain of Sinai. And it is there that God, through his servant Moses, in what is really, I think, chapter 19, is the key passage in all of the book of Exodus, maybe. It's there that God tells Moses, these people, you are going to be my treasured possession. You are going to be a kingdom of priests to me. You are going to be a holy nation. God has made them now his people. He's made them his people by hearing their groans, by coming to their rescue and by delivering them from slavery. And he's led them into the wilderness and he's caring for them. What does it mean that Israel was to be the treasured possession, the holy people, a kingdom of priests? Israel's life was to represent the character of God. They were to do this by keeping the covenant of the Lord. By doing this, they would set themselves apart and they were to become attractive to other people of the world, showing other people of the world this relationship with God and therefore bringing blessings to other people. And it's at Mount Horeb that God speaks the Ten Commandments. Do you see how loaded the book of Exodus is with just so many important things in in biblical faith? Now, if I asked you, what is the first line of the Ten Commandments? What would you say? If you say, well, you shall have no gods before me. It's incorrect. That's the first commandment. But the first line is, I am the Lord, Yahweh, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. Pastor Gerald Johnson points out this is so critical because it shows that God's commandments are spoken After God's redemption. The law comes after grace. Israel is saved and then they receive the law. Which means keeping the law is not the means for being right with God. Israel is already in a relationship with God before God brings the law and speaks the law. Keeping the law is not the basis of winning God's favor. You see there is grace even in the Old Testament. The last major part of Exodus are chapters that have to do with the building of the tabernacle, the creation of the priesthood. Uh, The tabernacle was the portable structure that Israel was to take with them in the wilderness so that the Lord could be worshipped. We read about the making of the Ark of the Covenant that went in the tabernacle. Any Indiana Jones fans here? Anybody seen all the movies? The Ark of the Covenant. And Exodus ends with the glory, the presence of the Lord filling that tabernacle. Well, where does this ancient story include us? Where does it touch us today? Exodus, I think, has kind of three main themes. 
The first is deliverance, the second is covenant, and the third is presence. First, let me take deliverance. I think it's appropriate that we're reading and studying Exodus today because tomorrow our nation pauses to remember the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and and the whole civil rights movement that he led. The Exodus became a template for Reverend King and all that happened for black people in those years. You know, African Americans literally came out of slavery in this country and the events of Moses and crossing the Red Sea to freedom has always been before them as they sought that freedom. Think of the Negro spiritual, go down Moses, let my people go. Uh, Taylor Branch wrote a Pulitzer Prize winning novel called King, uh, America in the King Years. And the title of that novel is Parting the Waters. Reverend King drew on imagery from Exodus in many of his speeches and his sermons if you read them. On Sunday, May 5th, 1963, in the city of Birmingham, Alabama, Reverend Charles Billups and a group of ministers led a prayer pilgrimage of 3,000 young people, teenagers, young adults, to the Birmingham jail where some of the leaders were incarcerated. And as they went, they sang through the streets, I want Jesus to walk with me. The police chief, Bull Connor, set up a police barricade with dogs and fire hoses and armored cars. When the young people met the barricade, they knelt in prayer. And all the while, Bull Connor shouted through his horn for them to turn back. But the people continued their prayer, calling up to God in rising exaltation and then singing and then praying again. Reverend Billups stood up and said to the police, we're not turning back. We haven't done anything wrong. All we want is our freedom. How do you feel doing these things? Bring on your dogs, beat us up, turn on your hoses. We're not going to retreat. And then he moved them forward along with the ministers and the youth. Bull Connor yelled for his men to turn on the hoses. And the men just stood there. Connor cursed and he demanded again that they turn on the hoses and let loose the dogs. But as the black people marched through their ranks. The firemen, the policemen, just fell back like they were hypnotized. Some people said they saw the firemen crying. And the marchers continued with their journey without hindrance, all the way to the jail where they prayed for their friends. And then they walked back to their part of town singing, I got freedom over my head. Our God is the God of exodus. He's the God of freedom. He's the God of deliverance. And he acted in history to deliver and to create a people. And he continues to act in history to free the oppressed. And whenever he brings us out of something, we are living out God's deliverance. Every deliverance, whether it's from slavery, whether it's from addiction, whether it's from temptation or trial, whatever waters we find ourselves in, from bondage of any kind, it is by the hand of an act of a faithful, mighty God who can bring us through those things. And just as God delivered the Israelites out of Egypt, ultimately through that lamb's blood smeared on the doorposts, so the lamb of God, the blood of Jesus Christ, frees us from our sin, from our slavery to that. Through the cross, God has made us his people. 
Exodus foretells that great salvation. And just as death had no power over those homes that had the blood of the Lamb that night, so death has no power ultimately over those who are signed with the blood of the Lamb of Jesus Christ. You know, when John the Baptist comes pointing to Jesus and he says, look, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's pointing back to the Exodus and that Passover and that experience. Deliverance. Second big theme is covenant. Those whom God sets free from sin and death are now in a covenant with him and as his, as his people. A covenant is a relationship. It's a relationship, though, of loyalty and love. It's not a come and go type of thing. A covenant is for a lifetime. God says repeatedly in the Bible, the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament, I will be your God. You will be my people. No one stands alone when you belong to the Lord. You are either part of God's people or you're not. And if you are part of God's people, you belong to God. And God spoke his law. He spoke those commandments to tell us how he wants us to live as his people. The purpose of the commandments is for us to know how to be obedient in that covenant, that relationship. Third big theme is presence. God's presence lived with and within Israel through the tabernacle. Being the people of the Holy One is no small trivial undertaking. It's not casual. We read in those final chapters of Exodus the beauty of the discipline, the order of this system of worship that God sets up in the tabernacle. And we understand you just don't waltz into God's glory. Now, now, now God's presence has tabernacled and tented with us in Jesus Christ. John 1, 14, and the word became flesh and lived, dwelt among us. That word for lived, dwelt is that same word from Exodus, tented tabernacled. John used it on purpose to say that now that glory from Exodus, that glory that was in the tabernacle, the presence of God has tabernacled in the person of Jesus Christ. In fact, the New Testament writers saw the whole Exodus, Jesus' life as just fulfilling that whole Exodus story. Think about it. Jesus, early in his life, is, goes down into Egypt. He's tempted in the wilderness just like Israel was. And he comes out of Egypt to begin his ministry. I've already mentioned how Jesus took that Passover meal and how he took that cup and and made it about himself. Paul writes and says, Jesus Christ was our Passover lamb. When Jesus teaches on the mount, we're meant to see Moses getting the teaching of God on the mountain. Luke uses the word exodus, which means departure, in his gospel to speak of Jesus Going to Jerusalem, departing to that mission he had on the cross that God called him to. Baptism is seen not just as our identification with Christ, but it's seen as us going through the waters of salvation, just as Israel did. Going from a life of sin and death to a life with God, like Israel passed through the Red Sea. Paul writes about the people of Christ as being the Israel of God. Peter says, now that we have faith in Christ, we are a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. And just as in Exodus 15, after they crossed the Red Sea, it says they sang the song of Moses. You can read it. So in Revelation, after the conquering of the beast, what do they sing? You can read this too. The song of Moses. 
And the writer of Hebrews says that Christ is now the more perfect tabernacle. He's the more perfect tabernacle. God's presence is no longer in a building, but he's in the lives of those who live for him and who believe in him and have faith in Christ. And thus the Holy Spirit living in us. We are now Christ's body. We are the people God wants his name to make known in the world, in our families, in our communities, wherever we go. We have been saved, we've been claimed, we've been redeemed and bought, and now we belong to the Lord. And just as Exodus was God's claim upon the Hebrews, so Jesus Christ is, his, is the claim on our lives. Have you responded to that claim? He's a God of deliverance. He's a God of covenants, and he's a God of holy presence. He is a God who hears the groans of his people. He is a God who took Israel from slavery and oppression to freedom and knowing the presence of God. They've gone from being slaves to being his people. But they're not perfect. No people is. How do a sinful, often rebellious people live with a holy God? That is what the instructions found in the next book, Leviticus, is all about. And that's where we will be next week. Let's pray. God, would you lead us out of the clutches and the domination and the values of this world and lead us into the love and the peace of relationship with Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. We are your people. You are our God. 